This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 132. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fool in Hi, everybody. Fulman, how you doing? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? Yep, I'm I'm good. Uh, enjoying Austin Matthews just scoring every game because he wants to. Yeah, he's a, just decided he's going to do that, and that's that's his prerogative. You, it really makes you wonder why more players don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I I have to think that it's entirely about will. Yeah, like, this I think isn't a skill thing. It's just they don't want to as much. Yeah, exactly. That that's my exactly what I was going to say. Austin Matthews <laughs> wants to score more than any other player wants to score it's that's the only reason <laughs> yeah you know and that's uh, a character flaw on the part of other players but exactly. what are you gonna do yeah it's, it's like um it's like the green lantern right like they're they're only limited by their willpower <laughs> there you go that's that's austin matthews yeah. and hockey players generally um yeah. <laughs> it's funny you know matthews is obviously on an incredible run and then Connor mcdavid is basically the michael jordan and i took that personally me yeah, he, he just is goes off for flying for like no particular reason. It's, it's insane what he can do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's become pretty clear that the, the Canadian division has like maybe one good defensive team in it, mm-hmm. and that's the Habs. And both McDavid and Matthews are still capable of shredding the Habs open. But the result is going to be that I'm pretty sure Matthews and McDavid walk out of this division with huge point rates, maybe the best of their careers. Yeah, it's just such a anyway. it, yeah, it's, it's such weak competition. Um, speaking of weak competition, the Leafs beat the Habs yesterday. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I think you know we we've been I guess I don't want to say negative on the Leafs, but we, we we've taken a very wait and see approach because again, as you alluded to, um, the division is really bad, and there's very few tests for this team. Yeah, and insofar as there is one, it is the Habs. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Leafs beat them. It, it wasn't, it, it was kind of a very, it was a weird game in that, like, basically everything happened in the second period and then nothing happened in the first and the third. But yes. um, it was kind of the standard way that these games tend to go, right? Where, like, the Habs are probably getting a little bit more uh, at, at five on five. And then the Leafs kind of explode on the power play and give up some awful defensive miscues, which lets the Habs come back into it. And, you know, Austin Matthews, just scores from somewhere that he, you know, an NHL player probably should not score on Mm -hmm. or score from. And then the Leafs end up winning. So it's, you know, it was, I think overall decently played game, um, decently played game by the Leafs, but uh, it's, it's kind of more of the same, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, more of the same means that they're now first in the NHL, which is quite positive. It's just hard to get a measuring stick for this team against, well, really, any kind of class of the NHL team, as we've talked about before. Now, that said, they don't have to play anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, they shouldn't run into anyone better than the Habs until the third round. So, you know, <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and I was impressed with them last night in some respects. I thought it was a decently played game in spurts. <laughs> there were, like, these short stretches as always with the Leafs, where the defense just absolutely imploded. Mm-hmm. And that's not encouraging, but on the whole, I thought that they played pretty well. Um, the Habs fans, as is their want, are blaming the refereeing 
for that one. Uh, too bad. It can eat it. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that the most encouraging thing is, as we've been saying, Austin Matthews is picking up this team and putting it on its on his back and then just carrying it wherever it's going to go. Yeah, as long and, as he's playing like this, they can beat anybody. Yeah, and also while we're here, I'm going to give credit to, to Mitch Marner as well because mm-hmm. you know he he's kind of he is the second guy on that line, yes. but he's also been very good, right? And at this point, it's been it's been so many years of him um, playing with players who you know put up very very strong point totals that you have to think that at least to some degree he's having a positive impact on them. Yeah, like right. he's clearly a superlative playmaker. I think that's firmly established any way you cut it. Like one of the best passers in the NHL. Mm-hmm. No question. Uh, and so, yeah, it's good. And I think we have to admit, we didn't think Joe Thornton would work as well as it has mm-hmm. on the first line. And and so far, it's been great. And I'm now granted, they've especially been putting the boots to Ottawa, who are terrible. Yeah. But still, it's it's good. Yeah, I, I think our skepticism about that was really, you know, how Thornton at this point no longer provides much puck transportation, right? Because he is mm-hmm. 900 years old. Yes. Um, once you get him in the offensive zone, he's still very, very good, right? It's like I made the comparison when we were chatting the other day. It's like late stage Yager, right? Where he mm-hmm. just gets the puck in the offensive zone, then he turns around and the sun is blocked out, <laughs> right? Because he's just so yeah. big. And he can just protect the puck forever. He can control the pace forever. His vision, you know, his vision hasn't deteriorated at all. Mm-hmm. That um, two-on-zero with him and Travis Boyd last night, where he had way too much time, you were just like, "Well, this is over." It, it was, Boyd was the, like, "I'm giving my most, stick on the ice," and yeah. that's it. It was the most predictable thing possible that you still have no way to stop. Yeah, <laughs> Carey Price knows what's going to happen, but he can't totally cheat off the shot, or Thornton will try it. So he just has to try and spring over in time, and he had no hope. It was great. Yeah, so when they're in the offensive zone, Thornton, you know, is a good fit. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what's there's two things that have made this trio work better than I thought they would. The first is that their offensive zone puck recovery has been really, really strong. And that's been a strength of Matthews and Marner forever, but they've taken it to kind of another level here. Mm-hmm. And Thornton's, you know, still quite good at that too. Again, he can use his size and his strength and his very long reach uh, to help out there. And then the second thing is that Matthews and Marner have been more than capable of just shouldering the entire kind of puck transportation burden. Right. Right. And, and this is, I think this is probably aided by the fact that there's like one good team in the neutral zone in this division, which is Montreal. Probably, yeah. But, you know, those who are just able to gain the zone at this point, right? It, it's been very impressive to see that even against relatively weak competition. So that it, it's made that line, I think, look uh, better than I really had thought it would. Yeah, I, I think it has to be said, when you have players operating at the level that Matthews and Marner are on right now, who can be good with them, it widens. It becomes a broader category of player. And Thornton is such an interesting player at this stage of his career because certain things about him have faded very greatly. Like, he's not much of a shot threat despite popping in a couple of goals this year anymore. Like, he's almost entirely given up on that side of it. And yet, his playmaking is still so, so good. Like, bordering on elite, if you can get him space to operate with it. And so, the fact that Matthews and Marner can really do everything at a high level means that they can facilitate Joe Thornton still doing the things that he's very, very good at. 
And so when we previewed this line, we kind of said, okay, the bottom line is these are all really good players and they might just work it out. And that's what's happening. Mm. Uh, that they've really found a way to operate. So yeah, that, that's an encouraging. Yes. Um, I guess one thing that's been a little bit less encouraging on the course of the year, and I, I, you know, they were hit and miss a bit last night as well. I don't think the Leafs defense in general, defense men specifically, were, were great last night, um, is the Riley-Brody pairing. Mm-hmm. So Riley and Brody are, are being used like, you know, the, the number one D pair on, on, at five on five uh, in the sense that they get the most time on ice, right? Their average time on ice um, as a pairing is about 15 minutes uh, per night. Hall and Muzzin are, you know, slightly short of that, maybe by 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at who Brody and Riley play with, it's disproportionately that supercharged top line who is just wrecking everyone they come up against. And yet when you look at the numbers, um, Riley and Brody's numbers are actually, you know, kind of not significantly worse than Hall's but, and Muzzin's, but notably worse, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're actually below water in Corsi. They're above it in expected goals and uh, scoring chances and most crucially in goals as well, although that's, you know, um, partially because of a very, very high on-ice shooting percentage and on-ice save percentage. The mm-hmm. shooting percentage is possibly replicable because they're spending so much time with Matthews and Marner. The save percentage, less so. Right. But th- this pairing has not been phenomenal, I don't think. And again, you know, like when we talked about the Tavares-Nylander pairing, which we're probably not going to do this week, but basically everything that we said a week ago still holds, um, we are judging this pairing by the standards of can the, can the Leafs be a contender, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, is this pairing okay you know, in, in 2016, if a pairing, um, it, all I needed to love a pairing was for them to have a, a five in the first digit of their coursey. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't, nothing else mattered, right? <laughs> um, so, but, but can this pairing, you know, be a, a, a 1A or 1B pairing on a really good team, right? Um, now, by the first, I guess, 19, 20 games, you would say yes, because the Leafs have been a very good team with the first 20 games. This has been their 1A or 1B pairing. But going forward, you know, are, are the results of a level at a level that we would um, expect to see uh, continue? Right. And I think that that's more questionable. I think a lot of us love Morgan Riley as a person. He seems like a great guy. Longest tenured Leaf at this point. Went through some awful, awful teams. He has the temperament of a captain. Uh, he's dating Canadian princess Tessa Virtue, which isn't really relevant, but I believe somehow entitles him to become king of Canada at some point. And so, in all of those respects, I think we like him even more than is justified in liking him just on because of the on-ice stuff, which is good. He's a good defenseman, but he's a very good offensive defenseman. I love him quarterbacking a power play, and I think he can be part of pairings. He has been part of pairings, as demonstrated that outscore their problems. He's not a good defensive defenseman. He never has been. And I don't think that there's any case that he's ever going to be. Yes, it's been too long, right? I, I, he, he's not going to be good. He's not going to get better defensively. Uh, or, not, or he's not going to you know, make a, a leap and you know, become uh, you know, Chris Pronger or something. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think if you were still holding out some faint bit of hope that it was the quality of his partners, who have admittedly been pretty uneven, 
you know, even with late stage Ron Hainsey being one of the better ones there. It was not a murderer's row. TJ Brody is the best guy he's consistently had probably as a partner. Unless you want to count those weird early stage partners with Jake Gardner. And we're still seeing the defense is pretty rough. I'm not saying it's fatal. It's not. This line, again, this pairing, and the line that it's behind are outscoring their problems by a lot. But it does sort of feel like with Austin Matthews doing what he's doing, any pairing is going to do that. It doesn't mean that Riley's not good. It just means that Riley... We might have to consider exactly how essential he is to the core of this hockey team. And given that next year is his last year of his contract, and he probably is looking at a pretty fat extension, we might have to start asking questions about whether we want to be the team that gives him that contract, whether the best version of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the next couple of years is the one where we keep Morgan Riley. Right. And I want to be careful to not overstate the case here. There, there's a commenter at PPP who's, um, who re- really hates Riley. Um, a lot. To, yeah, to, to, <laughs> to a degree where it's like, even when I kind of agree with parts of what he's saying, it's like he's just overstating the case. You know, it, 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 Riley is, he, he's, I've described him before as an average NHL defenseman in a really, really fun package. Yeah. And I think that's probably true at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, I think he, add, he adds value on power plays, but as we've discussed numerous times, I think there's a couple things there. One, there's just fewer PP jobs for a defenseman now, especially mm-hmm. ones who don't have a booming shot. Um, right, because some, some teams put defensemen in the OV spot, more or less, which I still think is dumb, but at least it, it's, you know, I can see some sort of argument for it. Um, and otherwise, there's you know, two uh, defensemen spots on the team for, on the power play. And then I also think a lot of players can be pretty decent at uh, quarterbacking and power play. Mm-hmm. But, but that aside, you know, Riley at 5-on-5 five five I think is about a league average player, right? And he does that through really juicing his team's offense and really juicing the other team's offense as well. Yes, and that's happened so many times now that it. I think we should take it as a given that that's just going to be the way of it. Now, I'm not saying that it's only on him. The Leafs are what they are. And it takes a village to be this bad defensively, to paraphrase the old catcher line. But he's been a common factor in a lot of groupings and pairings and versions of the Toronto Maple Leafs that have been porous defensively, while isolated numbers also tell us, yes, this guy is not that great at it. Again, I'm not condemning the whole package of the player, as you said. I think average or even slightly above average is fair for a defenseman. Like, he looks like a 2-3 to me, an offensive-minded one. But there's a real question as to whether the best option for the team is to sign that next contract that he's going to get. Right. Or is to trade him, or to trade him well, possibly now, possibly in the offseason, and try and convert. There's a sort of a related problem that we've talked about which is that the Leafs no longer have a ton of those mid-range contracts. They have the big four, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, and then they have a few five million-ish defensemen and Alex Kerfoot, and then it's nothing down to Justin Hall at two million. And that's sort of reflective of the 
overall quality of the team, I mm-hmm. think, is that there just aren't that many mid-level assets anymore. And, you know, I don't think that they're going to trade Muzzin or Brody, uh, given that they were both recently signed and Muzzin is kind of the defensive anchor. They both have no move, move causes as well. Right. So that makes it more complicated to begin with. Mm. Um, Riley has a 10-team no-trade. But it does mean that if you're thinking, okay, how can I upgrade short of trading Nylander? You probably have to look at this. Yeah. And the um, one of the interesting things with uh, with Riley, and this is, this is, I have a piece that's like kind of in the hopper that I, I just don't quite like enough to, to publish yet. I want to fix it up a little bit, but you know, I'm borrowing some of the ideas from there. Um, one of the things that makes Riley tricky to evaluate in this context is that he does the things that typically get defensemen paid. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's generally three things that get defensemen paid. Uh, the first is time on ice. The second is points. The third is playoff success. Riley has the first two. Mm-hmm. Based on this year, he might get the third. Yeah. Can't rule it out. Right? And, and it, playoff success does not have to mean winning a cup. If the Leafs, you know, just do as we would, do as they will likely be favorites to do, and win their first two rounds, and then you know lose valiantly to Boston or Tampa Bay or whoever. Um, then people will view that as oh, you know the Leafs have taken a step; they got to the conference finals, they got to the final four, whatever, and mm-hmm. that will reflect very highly on Riley, and that could juice his extension. Now, the thing is, paying um, an average to above average defenseman at five on five, um, and a good power play player five million. It's probably not the most efficient contract in the world, but that's not killing you either. Mm-hmm. Right? Especially because he, he does, you know, gen- he plays um, high-end minutes, and this is not the Dion Phaneuf playing high-end minutes. If yes, he plays those, but get, he gets killed. He plays those and does okay. Yeah. To be right? clear, I think the current Raleigh contract is pretty decent. Mm-hmm. You know, no problems with it whatsoever in, on its own account. It's just one... Part of the fact that it is not an overpay makes it a more appealing trade asset. And two, I think the next contract is going to be bad for the yes. reason that you've just described. Yeah. I mean, you look at Tory Krug, for example. Uh, let me just look up his contract because I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it was, I believe it was seven years, six and a half million or something like that. For the St. Louis Blues, yeah. Yeah. With um, no trade clauses the first five years and then a modified no trade um, in the last two. So... Krug, I believe, is, or uh, yeah, when he signed it, he was a year older than Riley will be when he signs his um, extension. Mm-hmm. And I also think that Riley probably has a little bit of a better reputation league-wide than Krug. Now, that, that could be off on my part. I'm not sure if that's 100% true. But I would guess that they're at least somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. Right? Krug was viewed a bit as a sheltered second-pairing guy. Um, because he wasn't, you know, on the shutdown pairing with um, with Zdeno Chara. Yeah, whereas right. Riley has often played on the toughest minutes pairing on the Leafs. Exactly, uh, and ev- even this year, results. it could be argued he's playing the toughest minutes on the Leafs. It, the competition between um, the Riley Brody pairing and the Muzzin uh, Hall pairing are fairly similar, but I, mm-hmm. I would say Riley has a significantly better quality of teammate. Right. Um, so yeah, like it's. Riley doesn't have that particular issue. The, also, the other thing is, you know, one of... This is kind of a, you know, very informal heuristic. 
But you look at, there's been a lot of talk about 2022 Team Canada um, selections, mm-hmm. right? And Riley has been on a lot of people's selections there. Not because he's necessarily one of the six best defensemen. In part, it's because Canada has a weird lack of left-shooting defensemen mm-hmm. relative to their other strengths. But, you know, Riley is viewed as, yeah, he's one of the best left-shooting defensemen on the strongest national team in the world. Right? Yeah. Like, that sort of stuff matters. You can very easily convince yourself that a team is going to you know, fall in love with him. And even if he just gets the crude contract, and I, I think he would get more than that, even if he just gets the crude contract, I'm not really a fan of it. Yes. And I, I have to say a clouding factor of this for me is that Riley has always had excellent athleticism. He's not big, but especially, you know, there's that that famous little clip of him at one point, he does like a standing jump in skates to keep the puck in at the blue line. And he gets air on that. You know, it's things like that that he can do. And that's part of why he is such a good power play quarterback is that he can hold the line um, very effectively. He's very yeah. rangy and agile. No, he gets th- up and down it very that's fast. That's very true. There's, there's been a lot of times where I notice, um, I, like I, I watch another team and I, I see a rim around. I'm like, oh, the defenseman should keep that in, and they just get nowhere near it. I'm like, oh yeah, Riley's just a lot, you know, a lot more athletic than an average defenseman. Yeah, and you know, you'll see him sometimes make quite heroic last ditch plays, getting back on a rush. Don't ask how the odd man rush happened with him on the ice. He might have been involved, but still, <laughs> um, he's rushing back, and he'll sometimes catch up. To the, to the opposing forwards or get in the way, put a stick in the lane, and, you know, just by putting his head down and kind of going. But that's athleticism, and that's great. That's important. But the decision-making is sometimes more questionable on defense. His choice of when to pivot, um, when to step up on the man, when to allow him space. When he, Just the way he reads the game. I mean, yesterday, the first Kotkaniemi goal. Actually, I think there was only one. The second one got disallowed, but... Um, the Kanyemi goal, um, Brody steps up, he, he gets a chance in the slot, and it's somewhat of a bad break, it hits uh, one of the only Habs players in front of the goalie and starts going the other way. So I think this was partially on Ryan, partially on Travis Boyd, who didn't read uh, that Brody had jumped into the play and he had to essentially play right defense. But mm-hmm. Riley was really far, his position was really, really far outside the dots for a guy who was essentially the last man back. Right. right, like from the defensive perspective, you'd much rather give up a two-on-one than a breakaway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things like that. Like it, that play was, I don't think, entirely his fault. I actually, when I my when I first saw it, my gut reaction was, oh, that is entirely Riley's fault. I looked at it again. And I think it's he's partially culpable. Um, but it's a play where a better defensive defenseman might have, you know, added some value there by taking that breakaway away. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a concern to me, because if his strength is mostly physical and athletic, how is that going to age on the next contract? That's going to be a term deal, probably. Uh, you know, unless he pulls the Taylor Hall thing and just tries to wait it out. But by that point, I, you know, we expect the league is going to be, you know, looking at COVID in the rearview mirror and hopefully recovering some revenues again. So I don't think that that'll be a huge factor. And then you're thinking, okay, when this guy is 30, 32, 34, and he doesn't have that same physical giftedness, is he going to scale down as well as might be hoped? You know, we've talked about Joe Thornton, 
who his vision and the fact that he's huge are kind of uh, steady assets even as he ages, or at least they take a lot longer to decline. I think Riley might age not quite so well. Right. And so that's, that's something that's in the back of my mind as we kind of embark on this conversation of, is this someone that we need to trade? And if so, for what? Yeah. So that, that, that kind of is the main idea of this, where Riley's next deal might be really tricky and budgeting for it essentially means that the Leafs have to forego a lot of other potential additions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, it, it would be hard to retain Zach Hyman and Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. Most people would probably choose, would, would say the obvious thing is, okay, yeah, retain Morgan Riley. He's better, right? I'm, I'm not sure. And it, it's hard to say without knowing the asks of each player. Right. But I'm not 100% sure that Riley actually adds more to this team than Hyman does. Especially yeah. given that left defense, our defense is weak in general. Our left defense is stronger than our right defense by, by, some, by some way. It's also where our best prospect, our best defense prospect plays, right? Yes. So depending on how high you are on, on, on Sandin and how high you are on Dermot as well, actually, and whether you think he can also, um, you know, take in some of that role and, you know, whether you think this can finally unleash Martin Marinson. <laughs> There's an argument for Riley being less um, less indispensable to the Leafs than Zach Hyman is, where we have so few good left wings, and the the left wings that are currently playing above Thornton, sorry, above Hyman, are, are Thornton and Kerfoot, and Thornton, you know, we can't rely on him forever. He might, he might retire this year. Yeah. Um, and Kerfoot is someone who we also kind of rely on to play third-line center. Um, and, you know, when we don't have him, we're playing angle there. And it seems to be working out okay so far, but it's a little tenuous. Yeah, I don't know that I think Pierre Engvall has the offense to play 3C long term. I think it's kind of getting hidden. I, and I actually think the Engvall line had a really good game yesterday. But mm. to an extent, a lot of the, the flaws of the Leafs forwards are getting hidden by the fact that Matthews and Marner are just scoring everything. Yeah, right now we're... One line team might be overstating it, but one line is driving the bus a lot. And that's okay, but I don't know if that's going to go forever. Even as good as Austin Matthews is playing, he's shooting the lights out. So we'll see, you know, how that progresses moving forward. But I, I expect him to cool off a little bit. Yeah, well, just because in the modern modern era, no one is a goal-per-game player. Like, the, the best goal-scoring season of the past... Since the 2005 lockout was, what, like 65? Yeah, and that was Ovechkin. Yeah. Who was, and, in my opinion, the best goal scorer in the history of the sport. Exactly, so. right? It, it's, you know, the fact that Matthews can even approach that is astounding. It, it's unreasonable to expect anything more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, we, we've kind of talked for 25 minutes about <laughs> how, about why we think there's, a, you know, this is a big potential issue. And that we might want to explore a Riley trade, right? Yes. So the tricky thing is actually finding one that works. Um, Riley has a 10-team no-trade clause. If he plays that well, he can basically expand that in effect, right? If he says, okay, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to put... Um, I'm, I'm only going to put teams that you could, like, realistically trade me to on that mm-hmm. list. You know, if he, there's no point putting Ottawa on that list because Ottawa's not going to try and acquire Morgan Riley, mm-hmm. right? Um so if, if he plans that well, it could be actually fairly limiting for, for the Leafs. But um, the 
it's worth thinking about at least briefly what possible you know teams would be interested in a player like Morgan Riley. Now, I also think realistically this is this has to be an off-season move. The Leafs are, as we've said multiple times, this is the easiest path the Leafs will have to a deep contending run. Yeah. Um. Like once divisions go back to normal, we're we're back in the in the slaughterhouse. Yes. So teams don't usually make themselves worse in in those situations, and also teams, even if you can argue that you know we're gonna trade Riley and hope to get use whatever we get to um, pursue current year wins through another trade, um, teams typically don't really do that, especially when the player is you know as popular as Riley, as well-liked as Riley, both in the fan base and in the front office, and as viewed as as important as Riley is. Yeah, I think that it's unlikely that the Leafs do trade Riley ultimately, but it's very unlikely that they trade him this season. Yes. Even though... Especially when things are going well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the team is, as much as we've complained occasionally, they're cruising to a first seed in the division right now. That's mm-hmm. kind of what you want. Record-wise, there's nothing to complain about whatsoever. So Right, and, and from Dubas' perspective, so, like, from here on out, the Leafs are likely to pick up points at a slower rate than they have so far. And that's yeah. not to say they're a paper tiger or anything, it's just that, you know, what they've done so far is really, really difficult to sustain over the course of the entire season. Right? It's yeah, just, it's well, more I mean, they're like, first in the NHL in points percentage. Exactly. It, it, there's more room to go down than to go up. Mm-hmm. If you trade Riley and then things go down, not even because you have traded Riley, just because, you know, things stop breaking your way to the same de- to the same degree, you've put a huge microscope on yourself as Kyle Dubas, right? From a self-preservation perspective, now is not the time to make this trade. Yeah, you're not feeling any urgency to do that. And, and again, you know, I think they like him personally, as we yes. were saying. And there's also an argument that, like, even if you think Travis Dermott or hypothetically Rasmus Sandin are ready to step in at that higher level, or at least that they can become a second-pairing guy and then you can leave Muzzin Hall as your sort of de facto first pairing. That's a big move. And I do think you are getting worse in the short term, so you got to be real confident of the upgrade coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, this would save us some trouble with the expansion draft. Uh, we, we got through the expansion draft quite painlessly last time. We uh, ended up losing Brendan Leipzig, which, uh, with benefit of hindsight, actually, we would have gotten rid of for free. So... <laughs> um, that's not a big deal. This time we're going to probably lose someone we care about a bit more. Yeah, if we go seven forwards, three defensemen, that leaves Justin Hall exposed. If we go four and four, that leaves Alex Kerfoot exposed. Yeah, there is a potential option to trade Riley after the season, but before the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. The only thing is whoever's getting him also presumably wants to protect him. So it's a clouding factor in terms of you're probably complicating their expansion plans a little bit, depending yes. on their team situation. So it's just yes. something to keep in mind. Yeah. So while we think this is, if this trade happens, which I think we would both say is low probability, mm-hmm. it, it will happen more likely than not after the expansion draft in the offseason of, you know, in the next offseason, right? But regardless, I wanted to spend a little bit of time presenting my galaxy-brained idea of how this could possibly happen this year. Let's do it. So... I will preface this. This has a 0% chance of happening. Um, (laughs) 0%. But I I saw an interesting article from 
uh, Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic about possible trade destinations for um, Matthias Ekholm of the Nashville Predators. Now, Ekholm is, um, you know, kind of another one in those line of very, very good Nashville defensemen where, you know, it seems like they just turn them out, uh, turn them out like a factory or something. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, he, just to give some brief, a brief overview about him. Uh, he is, let me just check his age. He is 30 years old, has um, two years left on his deal, including this year, so one more after this season, at $3.75 million. He's a lefty. He is very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. He's an excellent player. Now, LeBron says, kind of <laughs> in the first line, and it almost invalidates the entire piece, I'm not sure if Ekholm is up for trade. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those situations. Okay, um, good start. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, there's been some talk uh, about Nashville kind of moving people on. Uh, I think Friedman had something about that yesterday, actually. And I believe all he said was that the only people who are untouchable are Yossi, Ellis, and someone else. Maybe Arvidsson? Pecorine. Oh, which Pecorine. Was okay, the weirdest. It's like, okay. Uh. I, I, I would have thought Victor Arvidsson would be that guy, but okay, maybe not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that that makes Nashville kind of very attractive to look at because they have Philip Forsberg, for example, who, you know, we're talking about the Leafs lacking left wings. Philip Forsberg would look damn good uh, in a Leafs uniform. Oh. Uh, they have Victor Arvidsson as well. And then, of yeah. course, they have uh, Dante Fabro, if you want, like a younger uh, NHL defenseman, and uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm as well. Um, so, LeBron was talking about the teams that could possibly look at uh Ekholm, and that would make sense for him. And the the framing device he used for it was was really kind of a comparison to the Jake Muzzin deal, which uh, was Carl Grundstrom, uh, Sean Dursey, and a first round pick, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. So he said, kind of that would be the baseline that Nashville would want, which is you know first round pick, pretty decent prospect, and okay prospect. Yeah. Now, for um, Ekholm, and, you know, for long-time listeners of the show, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of Ekholm generally. For Ekholm, that actually seems like a very a reasonable deal, because like Muzzin, I think he's a player who's a bit better than his reputation is. Um, he's a really, really smooth, all-round defenseman. His play-driving numbers are consistently really, really strong. He's not that flashy offensively, and I think that's kind of where, you know, certainly when you compare him to Roman Yossi or, or other defensemen that they've had, like P.K. Subban. He, he's not in the same uh, same tier offensively in terms of what he can provide individually, but he does provide a lot of um, kind of just general solid play. Now, his play driving numbers have dropped off in the past couple years, which maybe is a little bit of a concern. He used to have a really, really strong defensive impact, and that has decreased. It's also hard to decouple that from Nashville as a team just really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it for granted that Ekholm is a player worth acquiring in the Jake Muzzin mold and um, would be a good add for a team like the Leafs. Well, the Leafs, you know, can't fit that in salary-wise, but a possible move that I don't think would happen is to flip Riley for futures and flip those futures for Ekholm, essentially a three-team deal. Yes. Now, three-team deals happen rarely, but they do happen. We actually facilitated one for Robin Lehner, where we just ate a certain amount of salary and then got paid a fifth-round pick for our trouble. Uh, you know, we were a lesser partner in that transaction. But I do think as the cap pressures are pushed to the extreme this year, 
because, you know, the cap is flat, teams are struggling, it's a difficult market. You might see more creative trades when trades do happen, as teams try to break out of the mold that they're in. And this kind of solves the problem that there's an argument that the Leafs need to upgrade at, light, at left defense, or, or at least that they would benefit from upgrading at left defense. And yet, they're trading out a left defenseman to do it. So it's a bit of a weird fit. Um, that c- could make more sense in a three-team deal. Yeah. Um, Ekholm also... <clears throat> he, he, one way he reminds me of Muslim is that he's like surprisingly shot-happy mm. for a defenseman, which can be uh, tricky. Uh, you a know, little bit. <clears throat> he, has, he has a decent shot for a defenseman, too, which is, you know surprising a, a little bit i don't think people think of him as you know having one um and it, it's possible that that doesn't fit in as well with the Leafs' style of offense right morgan riley part of the reason he synergizes so well with the leafs offense and part of the reason he has a huge offensive impact is that he's not a gunner at five on five necessarily it's that he he genuinely elevates other people offensively because of how much he moves around and his ability to read the play and jump in at the right time at least offensively Yes. Part of the thing, part of the reason I do like him so much on the power play is that he has a good little sort of floating wrist shot that can sneak in at times and has, you know, helped him get 20 goals that one year. But he doesn't have a cannon that he's in love with. You know, like it's it's not like Shea Weber where this is perceived as such a weapon that we have to keep going to it even when the results say it's not actually as effective as it seems to be. With With Riley, I think he has a good conception of how valuable his shot is relative to who could I pass this to? And so to give him credit, that's that's one of the things that he's best at and, you know, replacing him with a defenseman who might be a little less attuned to, to that value, it, it is something that gives me pause, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, I feel like Riley would, if we offered him up for trade tomorrow, would mm-hmm. fetch more than, than someone like Ekholm. He's making a little bit more money, but only $1.3 million more. And, you know, having two playoff runs of Morgan Riley, I think, would be viewed as quite possible. I think this trade, there's a lot of ifs here. Um, if Ekholm was actually up for grabs, I actually think the Leafs could pull off this trade. Mm. Like, I don't think it's unrealistic in the sense that we're asking for Connor McDavid for, you know, um, Martin Rinson. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not insane like that. Yeah, I mean, Connor McDavid's good and all, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Yeah, I, I think it's it's a fun fantasy idea. I think it has 0% chance of actually happening. Um, but that that's kind of my harebrained scheme to to bring Matias at home um, to, to the Leafs. Now, I think more uh, realistically, if we're talking about Riley suitors for, for the offseason, we'd be looking at kind of contending-ish teams. Um, a team like Boston, as much as that would suck. A team like uh, Washington although they're, they're pretty good on, on the left side, a team that's tr- kind of trying to maximize what they have. Winnipeg is perpetually on the hunt for good players to acquire through trade because they can't really attract free agents. Um, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh has Brian Burke now. We know Burke loves Riley. Mm-hmm. Those are the potential options. It, it's hard to find a good fit there because the Leafs are trying to be good now. So, you know, it, really the only conception of trading Riley that works within that setting, within, you know, that desire is for the Leafs to essentially, you know, flip Riley for something, then flip those somethings for something that helps the team now. Yes. Or, you know, if they're super, super bold, they make the bet that, hey, you know, Dermot and Sandine can actually replace 
85% of this guy. We're going to trade and we're going to use the cap space to acquire something else. Yeah. And, and I mean, that that would be both very bold and kind of ruthless. Maybe more cavalier than I, I think Kyle Dubas really is with creating core players of his team. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he went out of his way to do a favor for Josh Levo. I do think it would give him pause to deal a player like Riley. Now that said, when we kicked this idea around, we were looking for... Okay, assuming this happens in the offseason, let's say, is there a team that would be interested in Riley? And again, there are clouding factors. The expansion draft, has it happened by the time we make this deal, or is this happening in advance of it? Uh, And does this team think it can get Riley extended in short order? And we can't know that. That said, the New York Rangers interested me kind of at first blush anyway. Uh, They... not quite cut ties with Anthony D'Angelo, but they've indicated that they are not interested in playing him anymore. Uh, If they can't find a trade partner for him, I assume that they will buy him out. But their power play has struggled this year relative to last year when it was pretty good. Morgan Riley presumably could help with that. Although, again, any power play with Artemi Panarin on it is probably not going to be too bad for too long. Mm -hmm. But also... The biggest commitments that the Rangers have on defense are primarily to Jacob Truba, who is locked in at right D for the next six years at $8 million. They just have to hope that he keeps getting better. Um, then they have Brendan Smith, who's expiring and not very good. Jack Johnson, ditto. And Adam Fox is a right defenseman on an ELC. Now, they have Ke'Andre Miller, who is maturing pretty nicely for them in his first year. And I know you mooted this idea around with uh, a Rangers acquaintance and they kind of said that would be a factor. Yeah. The Rangers would take into account. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the idea I got from this Rangers uh, fan friend of mine is essentially that it, it's not as though Riley would be a horrific acquisition for them. It's that they only have so much money and mm-hmm. they have bigger needs elsewhere, primarily uh, centers. Right. And right, you can make an argument that what the Leafs would really want to do in this sort of trade is to improve at center, is to get exactly. someone who goes in third line C, and you don't even have to give up on Kerfoot. You bump him to the left wing where he's shown he can play pretty well, probably better. Um, but for the sake of argument, uh, I was really eyeing Pavel Buzhnevich, mm-hmm. who is a winger for the Rangers. He has terrific results. He's productive. He's a big boy. He is, in so many respects, exactly what I want to throw on with, say, Tavares and Nylander. He's an RFA this coming offseason with arbitration rights. I think he's going to get paid. He's 25. Um, but right now, he's at 3.25. So it's a, it's a low ticket for what he brings. This is pretty aspirational on my part. I don't think that the Rangers would go for it. Yeah, but I, I don't think so either. Because I think, yeah. you know, they're, they're a team... Not on two timelines specifically, but like it, it's similar to the Leafs, right? They have their their one older superstar, Panarin, and it's Tavares for us. Mm-hmm. And then they have, you know, a lot of young guys with some promise, right? Kako, Bucinevich, uh, uh, although, you know, 25 isn't incredibly young in today's NHL. Um, yeah, but he's La- already La- really good, so yeah, he doesn't Lafreniere, really have to get better. <laughs> yeah, Lafreniere, Fox, uh, Miller, right? So it, it's it would be tough for them to probably deal out from that from that latter group because especially right now because they, they've had a poor enough start that in a tough division they're already kind of on the outside looking in yeah 
I do, the other guy that um, caught my eye from a stylistic perspective is Chris Kreider. Because the truth is, Chris Kreider is who I want, hmm. full stop. It's Chris Kreider's contract that I have no interest in. Because he's 29, it runs for seven years, including this one, at six and a half million. That is going to age like milk. I know that. <laughs> Just do not bet on power forwards to be still good well into their 30s in the modern NHL. Yes. But he would be perfect as a fit. And so he's the kind of thing that, you know, if you can find someone who is a Chris Kreider light, but where there's not a sort of Damocles associated to it contract-wise, that would be really appealing to me. Um, and so I've been poking around for that. It's, it's tough to find someone who really compares, but those were the kind of players I was looking at as a fit for the Rangers. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at... The, the, the thing is, that the Rangers are a team that you could conceivably... So I, one of the reasons why hockey deals are so rare mm-hmm. is, is that it's two teams trading current wins for current wins. They're, they're both basically saying, I think I'm smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're... Uh, or, or, you know, or they're saying, you know, this player will be able to unlock more for us than he will for you. Something like that. Um, it's rare because, you know, having huge differences in evaluation between teams it is uncommon. Mm-hmm. Right? Most teams probably have somewhat similar opinions of players. That That's what makes you know, Hall for Larson, so bizarre. Yeah, and I think that that was clearly a a function of just kind of primitive GMing, where they didn't survey the market. They didn't do quality pro scouting. They they looked like they kind of read Adam Larson's draft profile and just said, okay, he's probably that, or whatever that turned into. And so, yeah, I, I mean, in the modern NHL, there's no excuse to be poorly informed on any significant NHL hockey player. Yeah, so, you know, a team that we try and trade Riley to, as good as we think Riley's reputation is, he's probably not viewed as, like, a true number one on on a great team. So it's going to be hard to really obtain... It's going to be hard to, like, just win a trade. That's why we always say, you know, winning a trade is just not an actionable plan. Mm -hmm. Because you can't count on the opportunities. Someone has to be wrong, and they have to be wrong in a way that suits you. Exactly. Um, so and, and, yeah, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say a lot of teams have what I would kind of consider, I call it the mid tier void problem. The Leafs have a bit of it. It's most notable, I think with Buffalo where they have players that are untouchable and players that are not worth very much. And there aren't a lot of players in that middle zone in between where they're useful, they're worth acquiring, but they're also not prohibitive that the team is going to cling to them. I would, you know, I was talking about this with uh, our Sabres friend, Kevin, uh, you know, it says, do you see a fit here for, for Morgan Riley? And it's not that it's inconceivable that they would want to acquire him, notwithstanding that Rasmus Dalin is probably going to run their power plays for a while. It's that, there's not really a fit for someone they want to give up that we want to get. And I think that that's the problem in a lot of places. I have the same issue kind of with Winnipeg. And so maybe you think, okay, maybe that does bring it back around to, to what you were saying in terms of multiple trades or multiple parts. Yeah, kind you of trade has for to be a three-teacher, right, really? Or it seems, Very it seems like, probably. It yeah. seems like that's a lot more... 
we're, we're talking about very unlikely events in general here, as we've mentioned, but of mm-hmm. those unlikely events, it seems like most of them would fall into the bucket of three-teamer. Yeah. And like a decent first-round pick, that's kind of the most fungible asset in NHL economics, right? You can always sell that to somebody at some point. Uh, so yeah, it, it might make it easier uh, to try and do a multi-part trade like that. The real question is, I think if you trade Morgan Riley, probably you are trying to do it to either get better at second line left wing or at third line center in a way that sets you up longer term, or at least for a couple of years. So you're looking for cost control, first and foremost, because the Leafs are capped at all the hell. And there is an argument that the Leafs should even be willing to lose the talent game a little bit if they can secure that, that cost control, strengthen their forward lineup, and then let internal development kind of cover the breach with, if you believe in Dermot, or Rasmus Sandin. Yeah, that, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, the, the option that we haven't mentioned because it's boring is the Leafs let Riley's contract expire and then just don't re-sign him. And then mm-hmm. at that point, let Sandin slash Dermot, if he's still here, you know, step into that role. That wouldn't surprise me if that happens. I, that's probably the most likely that's the most likely outcome that doesn't involve us you know re-signing Riley if we re-sign Riley I'm I'm going to be I don't know I don't want to overstate my confidence about how I feel about Riley because uh, you know I think people do that a lot and it's like yeah, it doesn't respect the variance that exists when it comes to our understanding and our evaluation of players mm. but if we re-sign Riley I'll, I'll be a little bit um disappointed in a sense simply I'll because, be worried yeah depending on the price yeah because i feel like it's going to be a lot <laughs> I, I don't see a world where riley gets a super good value deal from a team perspective right yeah and from riley's perspective it's like yeah chase the bag like i i hope he gets paid a lot i just if i'm, if I'm a fan i don't want my team to be the one holding that bag yes especially with the pressures that the leafs are under you know we've made our peace with the current cap configuration of the team, mm-hmm. even as we've complained with Marner getting overpaid by a couple of million relative to what he should have gotten at the time, he's awesome. He's 23. Whatever. With yeah. Riley, the downside risk of that deal could be pretty acute, mm-hmm. especially if he ages in a way that takes away a lot of his skills. And especially if I've correctly evaluated his decision-making as being pretty poor, but covered by his physical agility. Yeah. Because if that starts to go, it's a problem. For sure, for sure. So that's the part that is, you know, really worrisome. And I think in general, teams need to be, contending teams especially, and the Leafs see themselves as that, and they haven't proven it yet, but they they hopefully will this year. They need to be quite ruthless about figuring out who is really driving the bus on this team. Mm -hmm. Right? Who are the people who we can not live without? Who are the people who we can live without? And I think there's a reasonable argument that we could live without Riley. Mm-hmm. And that we could certainly live without Riley on a roughly six and a half, seven million dollar term deal. Right. Right? Like, I'm not agitating to get rid of Riley now because I think his deal is, is fine. Right? It's mm-hmm. what worries me is this is the deal we're going to have to ink after this one. Right. And if you're thinking maybe it's time to get a jump on this rather than let him walk... And not recoup an asset for him. You know, I don't 
I know we all say walk for nothing, including me. He is, you know, he's walking after having played for your team. Yeah. Which is I, not nothing. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to just letting him walk in that sense. The same way I was fine with the Leafs running down the contract for JVR, for Bozak, for Gardner. Because mm-hmm. they helped our team in the meantime. Right. Right? Tra- trading them for futures. I don't... I mean, in hindsight, with how those playoff runs ended, um, I guess you could argue it, it was the best move. But being a sports fan is about enjoying experiences and... The heading into those seasons, there was reasons to think, hey, we, you know, this team for a fan base that has seen absolutely nothing in terms of playoff success in a long, long time, this team has at least a reasonable chance of some playoff success, and we owe it to our fans to actually try, right? One of the, one of the things I hate about the idea of kind of the perpetual rebuild of always, you know, oh, it's not exactly our window yet. We have to, um, you know, move any potential UFAs to maximize our future window or whatever. You, you never know exactly when your perfect window is going to be. The least mm-hmm. perfect window might end up being this year because of a pandemic. Yeah. That was not foreseeable two years ago, three years ago, even January 2020. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's why we're saying if you do trade Riley for futures at some point, we're turning around and flipping those futures again. Yeah. Um, this season, the least first round pick should absolutely be in play. You, you really do have to treat this. Even if you don't think the Leafs are a top four team, you still have to treat this year as maybe our best shot at the cup because um, you're in a relatively soft division that is not going to get softer if it reverts to the Atlantic. Yeah, I mean, it's like the that Herm Edwards press conference, right? Like, you play to win the game, mm-hmm. right? Like, you like, know, the, we're, we're, we're the future not... is now. Yeah, <laughs> and that doesn't mean, you know, trade everything that's not bolted down to help your team now. But I, I'm... As a general team strategy, I, I, I never really liked the arguments for trading Bozak, JVR, or Gardner um, before their contracts were expired. Because the point of hockey, the point of supporting this team is to watch a team that is pretty, that is, you know, play and win hockey games. Watch a team that is decent try and attempt to win. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably not going to work because it doesn't work for the vast majority of teams. But that's what we get enjoyment out of. I'm not, I'm not here to watch our assets grow, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, if, I, if I wanted to do that, I would just invest in ETFs. And become an ETF fan, <laughs> right? I'm, it's like I'm a hard hardcore iShares fan. <laughs> the party don't stop. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. yeah that, that, I think that um, it, this isn't a worthwhile survey. the The bottom line on kind of the parameters of a rally trade is, okay, who wants him? Who mm-hmm. thinks they can extend him? Is a uh, is a contributing factor. Presumably, if you get him. You probably want him for that purpose. Um, look at who has a need on the power play would be a first thing. Unfortunately, as we've said, there aren't as many jobs with the four forward, one defense units that every team seems to run now. And then who might be a little bit likely to overvalue him is another thing. Or who just has a, kind of a, an opening at left defense. And you can look at bad defensive teams like Chicago, depending on where they think they are going you know it's it's not um something to take lightly for sure and i know that there are there are some people who wanted to trade bradley forever ago because they think he's actually kind of the problem on defense there are some people who don't want to trade Riley at all because they think oh my god defense is what we're weakest at and say what you will riley's been on pairings that have worked ish you're making us worse it's 
it's a nervy decision, but I do think it's something that you at least have to to work through if you're Carl Dubas. Yeah, um, I, you have to be exploring. It's your job to explore this, right? As much as yeah. it's kind of a little bit painful and devoid of sentiment to consider trading a guy who, you know, has been part of this team for so long, is clearly part of the leadership core, is a big part of the um, Leafs kind of community outreach efforts, mm-hmm. right? Like, that stuff does matter. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's harsh in a way to be like, okay, well, that's all great, Morgan, but you're not good enough at defense, so bye. But I, I, that's, I guess, a bit of the reality of pro sports as an exercise in trying to win. You, you It is inherently a little bit ruthless. And, and as fans of the team, we tend to look at it more from a pro-ownership perspective than a pro-player perspective uh, when it comes to you know, even the way we describe good or bad contracts that, you know, we talk about mm-hmm. it from the perspective of the team. David Clarkson's contract was amazing for him, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can be a little bit weird, especially for people like us who <laughs> I think generally would try and consider ourselves you know, on the sides of players and the sides of the people actually providing really the value of, of hockey as an entertainment product as opposed to the corporate fat cats who are profiting off the players' abilities. Yeah. It's uh, it's a rough business for sure. And it means, you know, you're not married to the idea of trading him either, as we said. Yes. Maybe you let the deal go. You at least ask him what his price is on an extension, even if I don't think it's going to be anything I want any part of. Yeah, and if the market is soft for him, maybe maybe it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like it's possible other teams are wise to this, right? You know, one of the... There's like pros and cons about trading a player from Toronto. The, the pros that everyone knows who they are. The con is that their flaws have also been really thoroughly analyzed. Yeah. Part right? of the reason, by the way, aside from me just thinking he's really, really good and makes the team better, part of the reason I don't want to really trade William Elander is I think he's been so devalued in certain eyes that we would have a hard time getting excess value on that deal. Like, I'm not sure that there's enough of a market among NHL GMs that overrates him just because he's under such a microscope that all of his flaws right now seem to be blown all the way out of proportion. Uh, you know, the contrasting thing is with Riley, I think he is generally better thought of. Definitely if we traded him coming off a 70-point year, we would have gotten a ransom, but that wasn't going to well, happen. So. That's also, I should have mentioned this before, Riley has accrued a lot of points by virtue of, you know, being on the ice with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's almost point per game. Let, let me check. Um He's not far off it, even if he isn't point per game. He might have like 15 points or something in, in 19 games. That could make a difference. He has 16 points in 19 games. Two goals, 14 assists. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, if, if, let's say he has a 50-point year in a 56-point game, a 56-point season, right? Or, or a 48-point year or something. Like, that's going to look really, really nice on mm-hmm. his... Um, on his stat line and I think you can convince a team to do that you know don't look now Tyson Berry has a lot of points too he might he might have fooled um he might have he, you know playing with McDavid and Drysaddle might be a way for him to get one last big contract from a team that looks at points I keep it was such a good decision for him to go there on a one year because exactly what you would have expected is happening mm-hmm. his defense is still bad but He's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. He's going to rack up assists in bunches. And someone is going to pay him more than he's worth. 
I am sure of it. It would be funny if it were Edmonton themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of, okay, if you want to improve the team, I don't know that you have another obvious route. You know, it's not that I'm totally ruling out trading Nylander, but I don't know that you get value. Tavares has a no move. Matthews and Marner are pretty much untouchable at this point. Even, you know, yeah, you we complained you... about Marner, but like that, that seems to be an established thing now. It's and a little bit, a little bit, want... little bit like the dry side. Sorry to interrupt. It's a little bit like the dry yeah. side of contract where it's like, simultaneously, you can say the GM probably should have done better when they signed him, but the player has played well enough that no one's actually really that concerned. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is The Marner contract, the issue was always, what was it costing us compared to what could have been done differently at the time? Because we all expect very good RFAs to outplay their contracts. That's kind of how the market tends to work. And so the point deal, he's outplaying it. Similar deals like that. But, you know, Mitch Marner is killing it right now. And you got to give him credit. And so that makes it more likely that we just want to keep the damn thing, warts and all. You you know, I I don't think anyone's giving us a franchise center or something for Mitch Marner. So we'll, we'll just make our peace with that. But the result is that you end up with kind of a sparse set of trade options. You have Alex Kerfoot, who I don't think returns you too much. Another mid-tier guy is like Justin Hall, who is more valuable to us than anyone else at this point, um, given that he's, he's making $2 million this year and next. Um, it might get him claimed in the expansion draft, but beyond that, we don't have a lot of clear trade options, except you keep coming back to Riley as a guy who might change the makeup of the team. Yeah. Um, before we go, actually, very quickly, mm-hmm. I-, I wanted to bring something up actually about about Hall it just came to mind so this is you know kind of off the cuff if let's say the Leafs go into the expansion draft with the roster essentially as currently constructed mm-hmm. would would you do you expect the Leafs to maybe pay an asset to um Seattle to prevent them taking Justin Hall maybe it, the alternative thing is maybe you just go 4-4 and expose um, Kerfoot, right? Because the thing, the thing is, yeah. one thing benefiting the Leafs in this case is that Hyman, who is probably their fifth best forward, mm-hmm. is a uh, UFA, right? So right. it doesn't really make sense for uh, Seattle to take him. Yeah, I mean, maybe if they're convinced that they can get a jump on an extension for them, but yeah, it, it's it's not really necessary. And so it also disincentivizes the Leafs from extending him. It might mean that he goes because he's probably going to get to market. But... Yeah, like, there's kind of a gap there. And then it's, you know, do, do they want Pierre Engvall or something like that? Like, that's that's kind of their business. So you can argue that it makes the most sense to just protect the big four and then protect Riley Muzzin, Brody Hall. And then just say, if you want Kerfoot, take Kerfoot. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do... The way that it's been going recently, I wouldn't be surprised if they did take measures to kind of protect Justin Hall even if I think he you know he's riding a bit high right now and I I don't know how things will play out in a longer term I do still think he's benefiting a lot from Jake Muzzin but like he's a decent second pairing guy right now making two million you can't replace that so yeah yeah all right cool so I think that just about wraps it up for us is there anything else you want to discuss nope awesome 
So thank you everyone for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. We'll see you next week.